it on? Yeah. Oh, lovely. Good morning, everyone. Wow. Thank you. It was lovely. We've heard a lot of um, stuff today, so I hope this can fit in with everything that we've had. I'm going to do one of those things. I can't, I can't remember what the proper word for it is. Where you use the same, the same letter. Uh, what is it called? Alliteration. There, yeah, I'm going to use alliteration. Uh, I should have learned to spell it first, shouldn't I? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I want to use the word R. And um, the first part of it I want to use is uh, revelation. Um, it's, it's come to me, um, well, I'll, to have a revelation is not of itself sufficient evidence of our being born again. Um, and that's quite a sobering effect. And I've realized that we, as a church, we want to reach out to more and more people. But uh, Dan used the word this morning, authentic. And um, our revelation has to be authentic. And it has to be um, substantiated um, by our lives. In other words, we've got to see it in somebody's life. Uh, we can speak about how God revealed himself to us until uh, the cows come home, but really, until there is a, some substance behind that, then um, I don't know, it, it kind of spoils. Um, I think, first of all, I'd like to just share a bit about um, Paul's testimony. And it's quite interesting, I've thought about this. You know, uh, we, we're born again, and we're a different person. Um, but God uses our gifts, the ones that we had before we were born again. And the thing about Paul was that he was a zealous king, and he was kind of really on fire for persecuting the Christians. That's what he wanted to do. That was his life's ambition, was to go out and find the Christians and then persecute them, get them. <laughs> because that's what he believed was the right thing to do. And, um, and of course, we know the story. I could read through it, but I won't now. But you know the story. Um, is that he was going to, on the road to Damascus, and this, he had this incredible revelation of Jesus Christ. And uh, you can read about it. And he just sort of says, you know, who are you? And of course, God speaks to him in such a way. And um, the point of it is, is that he had this amazing revelation of God. And then um, from that revelation, he was taken to a room. And he was blind for three days. And it says he, he neither ate nor drink, drank for three days. And God was doing such a work in him in that three days. But the point that struck me with it was that he was blind. He couldn't see anything else. He couldn't see, you know, anything around him. 
It's as though God had closed him down in that room. And we've heard it twice this morning about being still. It's as though God shut him off from everything else. His life, you know, I, I don't know how you would feel in that kind of experience. And um, after three days, he was a new man. God had spoken to him, and Ananias, who went to him, uh, he said, Lord, this guy, he's bad news. He's mean. He's going to, you know, he persecutes the Christians. And God says, go and pray for him, because he is going to suffer much for me. And the interesting thing of it is, is Ananias went to pray for him, and he come out of that room, and he was still zealous. He was still on fire for something. But this time, he wasn't on fire for himself and what he was going to do to the Christians. He was on fire for the gospel. He was zealous for God. So God had used his gifts and what he had before, but this time it had been kind of sanctified, set apart for God. Now, I find that really encouraging because um, I don't know really what necessarily gifts I got, but I do know loads of people that have got tremendous gifts and God will use them in his kingdom. But the thing is, it has to be sanctified by God. It has to be turned into something that God can use. And that's um, part of it is that I, I think we use our gifts in our jobs or whatever we do or in, in the, our way of life, but we use them for our purpose. It's for me. It's not necessarily from anyone else, you know, it's for me. And then we have this transformation or we're born again and suddenly everything that I am becomes a vessel for God. Everything that I am becomes that thing which I want to serve God. And that's why Paul can say, it's not I that live, but Christ lives in me. And so it gave him some different things. He, he then had, um, as you read in his letter, he had a humility. That was one of the things God gave him, was humility. Humbleness. And I think that's the first thing that we need, really. When God moves on us, he needs to move on our humility. Because when, when we're humble, we don't think about ourselves, what we're going to do, what's it going to work out for me. And that's a challenge to us. Because it, particularly if you've been rejected or abused or whatever, before you became a Christian, um, this idea of people saying, God sets you free. You know, you're a son of God. You're not a tramp anymore. You're not wasted. You're not rejected or anything. And that can kind of give us a wrong sense of value. Our value is only in Christ. And that makes it so different for us. Um, yeah, the revelation that we get should not be something that sustains us when we come together in a meeting. When we can get visions, we can see wonderful things, we can say 
you know, glorious things, lovely. And they're great in themselves. But there's a bit more to this, and I want to read um, just one verse in, in Revelation. And it says, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Two parts there. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. We are redeemed and saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. He gave his life that we might live. That's the first part of that. But then there's this and. And that's the thing that challenges me. What comes after is that part of my life. Because he says, and, and by the word of their testimony. And the thing is, what is our testimony? What is my testimony? As I stand in front of you, you know, you could have people that have been Christians for years and years and years, but what is their testimony? Is their testimony, it's not I that live, but Christ lives in me. And you'll probably know that by their manner, by their way. But there is still a testimony. So we can celebrate that we're born again. We can come together week after week and it's fantastic. We can come and reach and touch God. But there's got to be more. It's got to sustain us through the week. It's got to sustain us in the darkest areas. This revelation of God has got to come to us when we're right in the middle of the week, when we're, we're, you know, we're having a bad time. Things are getting difficult. We've got to sort of think, it's just as Anna was saying there, we've got to remember when we're in that maze, when we're lost and we don't, we've got to remember, and by the word of that, what is my testimony when the tough times come? Do I break into pieces? But then I come back on a Sunday and I stand up and I wave my hands, but really in the middle of the week. Now, we do get desperate and we do have difficult times and we have to cry out to God the very purpose of psalms and other songs that are written are for us to be encouraged in it. But when the things go wrong, do we get up? Do we praise God in the darkness as well as in the light? Because I think as we go forward, if we want to reach somebody and bring them into the things of God, we can only take them as far as we're at. We can only take them as far as we are at. And that's a sobering fault for us. So if it's not the genuine article, when we're not sure whether they receive the genuine article. The second one, that's revelation. The second one is redemption. Hallelujah. We're clothed in rightness and justified. One of the things we were speaking about, family. Um, to be adopted into a family, there's two ways of looking at it. That you're not in the blood. <laughs> but then again, when we think of it, um, if we're saved by the blood of the Lamb, then we sh we're not going to be saved by our blood in that sense, unless it's Christ. You see what I'm saying? You could be in a family, naturally, but not necessarily, you know, um, in God's family. 
To be in God's family, you've got to be of the same blood. Otherwise, you're not in it. And we're saved by that blood because we can testify. We're saved by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. And that's the thing that changes, that's the thing that brings us all into family. And there are some things in a family. If, if you came to stay up our house, or I suppose anyone in this room, there are certain traditions in families that you have to abide by. You know, they have their breakfast in the kitchen or wherever they have it. You know, you don't have it where you choose to have it. We, we had somebody stay with us, um, and Margaret had to point out to them, you know, that they were living with us, that they used to get a Chinese and go and eat it in their bedroom. And so, we, because for the next night or a day, everyone smelled a Chinese because it was in. So, my, Margaret politely said, look, um, don't eat your food in your room. We eat together. We eat together in one room. And, um, and fortunately, she learned, well, yeah, three years she lived with us after that. Wonderful. They had a lovely time with her. Um, yeah, so when, when we're in a family, you have to know some of the things that are kind of traditional with, that, with us of being part of that family. And I just want to point out this. Sorry, I'm very dry this morning. I was singing a lot last night. But I was having a good time. Um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm saying it's home truths about the church. In his letter to the Corinthian church, he also mentioned it in other letters, if you want to look at them, there's always a kind of a correcting something. And Paul felt they had to correct the, um, the Corinthian church. They were, they were showing all the gifts of the Spirit in their meetings. You know, they had the tongues and they had all kinds of other stuff. They were going on. And um, Paul, it's, he uses... Um, the law to kind of um, remind them that, uh, that there, there was more than the emotionally charged meetings that they were in. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that for us to have emotional meetings is wrong because God... Um, I would have never have fallen in my love in love with my wife if I hadn't have had emotions. And and at the time peak of my emotion, uh, she asked me to marry her. You know. <laughs> no, seriously, no. But the yeah, it was um, yeah. So God does speak to us through our emotions, but it's got to be something after the emotion. After the honeymoon's gone, there's got to be something solid. And this is what he was having to deal with with the Corinthian church. And he was kind of, kind of writing this letter and saying some of the things. So I've highlighted um, some of the things in that particular chapter. I won't go all through the chapter because of the time. Um, and he's, he's kind of qualifying them. He's sort of saying, you know, not, I suppose it's a, He's asking them questions. It's a rhetorical question, but he's asking them, do they know? And um, he's using the law in this. He says, when one of you has a grievance against, those no, chapter six, uh, 
Does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? And this is when he starts, he says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Here's something, there's a principle for you. If we need to judge, we need to know the rules. If we want to know the rules, we've got to know Christ. Haven't we? We've got to know what, you know, what our standards are. And uh, he says, do you not know we are to judge angels? And I thought of this, and I thought, boy, that's powerful stuff. But when you consider at that time, they might have spoken of angels as ministering spirits. They're, they speak to us, you know, they're, I don't know, they're a mystery, but we, we, we sort of say an angel came. You know, or we don't necessarily say he had wings or whatever, it could be anyone, but... He says, do you not know that we are to judge angels? And I was thinking, do you know, we are to judge the spirits. When we're meeting with people, we are to judge the spirit in that person. Because why? Because he's given us the authority to judge the spirit. Now, at first it might not seem a lot, but it's an awful lot. Because you can enter into a conversation with someone <clears throat> and start speaking about Jesus. And you might feel as though you're hitting a brick wall. Well, you might be hitting a brick wall because that person in their spirit is not a bit interested in what you're saying. So they'll oppose what you're saying. But we as Christians, he said, you're to judge the spirits. How much do we judge when we're listening to somebody or we're in a discussion or we're in a group, perhaps that are talking about the things of God or whatever. You, you have to, um, I, I was at a, a celebration yesterday of my daughter, and some of the people that were, I hope they're not listening, um, <laughs> but some of the people there, um, not the guests, the others, and you had to sense where they were coming from so that you could, have, you could judge accordingly how to um, be to them. You know, you could, with one, you'd say, is it possible that we can have some more vegetables on our table? You know, because they was open, they was friendly, but then you could get somebody else who's kind of offish and a bit um, dictatorial, and you have to say, look, we need some more vegetables here. Please would you bring, you know, um, because you're the customer. And the customer's always right. And, uh, but do you see what I'm saying? <clears throat> There's a lot of singing. No beers. Just singing. Um, now you throw me there now. <laughs> um, yeah, somebody, yeah, it's, the customer's always right. And, um, but for us, it's so good if we can be in control of the conversation because that's what God has given you the authority to do, to be in control. Why are you in control? Because you know what you're dealing with. Even though you don't say to them, I know that, you know, that you're a nasty person or whatever, you don't. You use it. Paul says to us, you know, we, we don't, wrestle with flesh and blood. We're not pandering to the... We're What's the spirit behind it? And so you have to see that you have to be born again of the spirit to be able to discern the spirit. 
So if you're spending a lot of your time talking and you haven't got a clue what they're like, then go back to God and say, well, why can't I discern the spirit of this? Why can't I recognise that somebody's wrong here? You know, something's not right about it. And it says, how much more then matters pertaining to this life? Have you got a view on Brexit? I don't want to go there. (laughs) Have you got a view on anything? Anything that's modern, you know, modern affairs? Which, Which party is in government? It's not a necessity. But really, for us, um, we should know about matters pertaining to this life. You should know what's going to do you good when you eat it and what doesn't do you good when you eat it. Are you getting my drift? We should should be wise. We should be wise anyway so that we can teach our children the wisdom of cleaning their teeth or whatever, you know. So that's what he's saying. We're given that gift of discernment that what's right and what's wrong. And obviously, they weren't using that gift because they were doing things outside of the meetings that they shouldn't be doing. Um, And it says, um, do you not know that the unrighteous will will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, you can can, uh, think that your children, who are not Christians, will be saved sometime in the future because God's spoken to it. Well, amen, hallelujah. But that doesn't stop you praying. It doesn't stop you discerning what they're doing is right or wrong. And um, because now, on the basis of this, we're to know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God Sometimes I'm called upon to do funerals, you know, um, and I'm not sure about where the people are at at the funeral, so I don't make bold statements about they're with Jesus now or they're they're in hell now because I don't know. But I do know the unrighteous will not inherit. So it's if somebody is being unrighteous or they are unrighteous, then they're not going to go to the funeral. So we can't bluff around it because... It's my little Timmy or my little Johnny or my little... Do you know what I mean? Um, Because you're you're deceiving people. So for us, it's given to know for sure. And it gives a list. I won't go into the list. um, But there's some quite um, telling people within that list. But glory to God. We can pray for our children. We can pray for our friends. Because at the end of it, Paul says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. So that's, that's in chapter 6. And this is where we come back to this thing of um, redemption. When we said, we used to sing that song, do you was you around then, John? We used to sing it, redeemed, I am redeemed. We'd sing it, you know, down at Rora and places like And you was there, you woo, you know. Um, but I don't know, it, for me, my redemption is one of the most important things in my life. Not my testimony, if you like, but my redemption, because if I'm not redeemed, then I'm not saved. 
and it tells me that I'm clothed in rightness and justified. I'm clothed. I have to put it on, just like a coat, just like something, so that you're bearing, you know, the, the clothing of God. I'm clothed in it, and I'm justified, and I'm right. And that should make us feel good. Totally aware that I'm only right in Christ. Always that has to come in for it because if we've been, if we're suddenly exalted into a place of being free and being liberated and not having the burden of whatever's gone on in our life before, if we come to that place, then we feel, you know, uh, we feel great. But you have to be careful that you don't feel too great that you lose, that lose the fact that actually you're only great because Christ has come into your life. You've had a revelation of Jesus Christ, and it's him that is the celebration, not you. We're, um, yeah, we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So that's the next one. Uh, the next one is relationship. Um, I know my father, and he knows me. There's something nice about the intimacy of knowing someone, isn't there? I, I'm a great admirer of Harry Kane, but I don't know him. I don't, you know, I know he scores goals, but I know <laughs> But I don't know him. And the, the challenge for us is, do you know your father? Do you know where you come from? Do you know what is the originator? Um, because that's one of the meanings of it. And it means everything that you come from comes from this point. That's why fathers are so important in life, as we're seeing to our detriment in the society around us, where there are not many fathers. And I don't necessarily mean in the spiritual realm, I mean in the practical realm. You know, so many children are kind of being damaged by that. That's, that's just not my theory. That's what statistics tell us. Um, but to know the father... To know God so that when you pray, you feel they're going somewhere and they're not bouncing back off the ceiling and that our prayers will be answered in a correct way, not in the way that I think is correct, but in the way my father thinks is correct. And that's the challenge. Um, if we read in Romans 8, verse 15, this is a lovely It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And we've done this a lot in our Bible studies, Abba, Father. Um, and it's kind of, it says, Daddy, Father. It's that relationship, you know who your dad is. Now, we don't always, we, we say Father, we don't often use the word um, Abba, really, in open circles, possibly. But there is this concept of it. We haven't received the spirit of slavery, now listen to it, to fall back into fear. Now, fear is this terrible thing. I saw some of it. Uh, being represented yesterday, that you do what you can 
in a situation, you've done what you can in a situation, and then there's the worry, I haven't done enough. We fall back into fear. Have I done enough? Um, could I have done some more? Well, you can be asking yourself that question right through. But if you've received the Spirit, then you shouldn't have that fear. You can see God and say, why am I so anxious? Why am I so fearful about this situation? Because I can read it here, I have not received that fear. It's something that's in me before. And God has come to release me from fear. Hallelujah. That's a tremendous thing. It just doesn't mean about fear of death. That's fear of people. Fear of, am I upsetting somebody? Not in a belligerent way, but, you know, um, like we, we heard, sometimes we need to tell people the truth. And that's a difficult thing. I fall way short you know, sometimes saying what you feel, but really. But I don't fear anymore like I did fear because God has released me from that. I, have, I had the privilege of um, organising all this celebration and um, people kept coming and sort of saying, that oh, I was great, great, etc. But they were saying, that oh, it's hard work, hard work. But it wasn't hard work. I didn't feel any hard work because I thought, well, I've prayed about this a lot. I haven't just done the, you know, writing the names and everything. I've prayed about it. And as you pray into situations, it releases you from fear. Hallelujah. Have you found that in your life? Have you found that the more you pray, the less you're fearful? And suddenly this thing, which was a massive mountain in front of you, suddenly it's gone. It's come down. Why? Because you prayed. Because you might have prayed with others, or you might have prayed on your own. Um, but we are sons. Now, when you're a son, when you know your father is, okay, and our father is God. Now, I've, I've watched some... Um, some things on the videos, uh, on the YouTube, and people have a weird concept of God. So they get on there, they'll get a celebrity on the YouTube, and he'll put out something about his idea of what God is. Well, can't, uh, well God's a belligerent God. He's a, a, not a benevolent God. He's not a kind God. How can it be a kind God when there's all this misery in the world? So everyone has their concept of God. Everyone in this room, we have a different concept of God because each one of us is unique. There'll never be another. There wasn't one before and there'll never be another. So it's obvious that what we think of God might be different. But I pray, oh God, I pray that every one of us knows him as Abba Father and not God because God can be distant. It can be detrimental. But when you call him Father, something different, something clicks in, some security, some feeling safe, somewhere where whatever's happening, it's going to work out for good. Why? Because my Father's there. We become like that little child. That's why it says, be childlike. 
Because children trust their dads. Well, they trust their mums as well. There's a simple trust, isn't there? You know, if um, dad said, I remember reading a tragic story, uh, and it was a comedian. I won't tell you his name, but he's, he was out walking with his father, and his father got him up on a, he said, jump. And uh, the boy jumped, and he missed him. And he said, let that be a lesson to you not to trust anyone. Now, this, this kid, you know, but I hope you don't think God's going to do that with you. I hope you don't think he's going to suddenly let you down and there's going to be a bubble that's burst and it wasn't anything really at all. That's called disillusionment. And disillusionment only comes after you've been involved in an illusion. An illusion is something you think is there, but it's not really there. That's what an illusion is. But if you've had revelation of God... Nobody can gainsay that. You can say, I know my God. I know my Father because I have had revelation of him. I've seen my God. And he has redeemed me. Hallelujah. And I've come into a relationship with my God. The next one is responsibility. Or, you, I like this, I saw the, or it's an ability to respond. <laughs> Do you like that? I did, anyway. It's an ability to respond. Have you got an ability to respond? If God tells you to do something, have you got the ability to do it? Possibly not. You know, you might think, well, I can't do that. But have you got the ability to respond? Have you got the ability to say, well, I'm going to do it? Not say it in the middle of a meeting, as I've done many, many times, and never done it afterwards. You see, the ability to respond is to follow through on what has been put before you. We see it, you know, so many times with people um, where there's this tremendous response and they become kind of ambassadors for God, but they don't ever go to another country <laughs> to represent him. They sit at home. Um, and one of the responses, I'm glad we, we said about families this morning, one of the responses is to accept that you are in a family. Now, sometimes that's a very difficult. If you've been a very independent person, um, then it's difficult to think of yourself as part of a family, as to open up as though you were in a family. You know, families open up to each other. You don't have to be long in the family to find out siblings are, are quite, find it quite easy to open up to each other. You stole this. You did that. No, I never. You did it. That's, that's how siblings go sometimes. I remember Margaret was amazed. She was kind of a single, you know, uh, only child. And she was amazed as our daughters were talking to each other. And she, she was aghast when I came home from work. And she said, they've been saying these things to you. I said, well, that's what they do. <laughs> that's what siblings do, because they're part of a family. They don't leave. They don't stop talking to each other. They just carried on with life. And uh, I, I just want to read something that, um, yeah, I read. Uh, a woman recently divorced, moved to a town where she knew nobody. 
When she finally got up the nerve to visit a church, she prayed, Lord, let me fit in. Surround me with friends. The Bible says a man who has a friend must be friendly. So she asked two ladies if she could sit with them and they ended up going out to lunch together. Turns out all three women lived alone and were feeling isolated. So they started a Bible study group and they named it GALS, G-A-L-S. And um, it was God's amazing love sustains. And Ruth Center, the, the, the lady that formed it, said, when you are truly joined in spirit, you work for the good of each other. And years later, this little family is going strong, sharing their ups and downs, praying and looking out for each other. Psalm 68 says, you find families for those who are lonely. You've been grafted into a family. If nothing else, you've been grafted in to a family. Now, lots of people feel confident, or they show a confidence on the outside, but inside, they feel lonely. Well, that's why we come together. That's why it's good to pray together necessarily in little groups or big groups, especially as a church for church things. But oh boy, God puts us into families. But you have to accept you're in a family. I was at a family do last night and um, you could tell it was family. First of all, because so many of our characteristics was the same, you know. We, my daughter looks like my sister's daughter. And you know, and, and all of these sort of things. You get physical family likenesses. Um, but there were other likenesses. We all joined in with Max Bygrave's sing-along, you know, <laughs> because that's what we did when we were kids, growing up in the families. Um, you know, so you're in a family, and families stick together through the ups and downs. And you're going to get ups and downs. They're inevitable, because otherwise we won't be strengthened. We won't be refined. I'm sure the... The military in here will tell you, unless you do your training together, and the training's kind of as near as you can get it to battle, then you're not going to be fit for it. You're not going to be ready for it. And God's going to train us. God is possibly training you now. If somebody is upsetting you in the church now, God is training you for the battle, for where we're going for what we're going to do, so that when somebody comes there that's a bit bristly and a bit, you know, um, he's training you right now, possibly with the person, well, he won't be sitting next to you, well, he might be, but, you know, he's, he's training, he's equipping us for the battle. And so he puts us in families where it's a bit awkward, it's a bit tight sometimes, you know, somebody's sitting in my chair or, do you know what I mean? And God prepares us for that. That's what he's doing. He's giving us responsibility. Now, how can you handle responsibility? Because God wants you to be able to handle it. Because why? Because he's given you the spirit. 
that doesn't fear. And the fear of responsibility is a terrible thing for people. Oh, I can't do it, I can't. But if God said you do it, do it. Just leave it with him. And finally, I'll leave it here, the reward. So that's the last one of the five. The best is yet to come. Now, my head goes singing then. I, I can hear the song and, you know, <laughs> and that's terrible. But um, we're just passing through this world. We're, um, we're going to a better place. And this is just the start, the first fruits. You've received the Spirit. So you're growing and we're maturing and God is preparing us. He's preparing us for a much better place. But listen, this is what I want my testimony to be. And I pray to God that it's our testimony as a church. It says, it's, um, what is it? Psalm 84, verse 5 to 8. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, which is the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O Jacob. That's my prayer. When I pass through this, I want to leave it with springs of blessing. So that people, when they, when they remember me, they'll remember me with a smile instead of a grimace. <laughs> instead of, oh, dear, oh, dear. But do you want to do that? Has God done something in your heart? Now, you might be new, you might be old or whatever. You might be struggling or you might be in what you think is an impossible situation. But it can never stop you being a pool of blessing in somebody else's life. And the encouraging part is the more you bless, the more you go on. You go from strength to strength. And we have, can, when people can come and they can testify of that. People in this room, we go from strength to strength. Hallelujah. And that's where this church is going. And so you have to discover first <clears throat> whether you're born again, whether Christ has revealed himself to you, if he hasn't, then please seek him because you need to know who God is because you'll never get through your problems if you don't know God. We're redeemed. He paid a price for us. That justifies us. That's why we can say to people, I've been justified by the blood of the Lamb. We've been restored. What is it? Relationship. We've come into relationship. I've forgotten myself. We've come into relationship after that redemption. That's it. And the last one, thank you. Well, no, there's responsibility and the last one is um, reward. We have our reward in heaven. Be encouraged this morning. Yeah, there is that challenge. But once you're in, you're in. Once you've seen God, only, you only need to see God once. Just the once you need to see him. And you can say to people, I know what's happened to me, 
You can say, I was once blind, but now I see. But don't let it be your testimony. Don't let that be the only testimony that you've got of God. Go on with him. Go from strength to strength by blessing others, by praying, by praying with others. Hallelujah. Amen. Bless you.